what's up, everyone, and welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me in Las Vegas is Matthew Morris. Just finished up his cherry pie. What's up, brother? How are you? Apple pie, and it was very <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, dude, I was a little disappointed. We got this place, uh, I think it's called Crust and Row. I might have not pronounced the last part right. It's uh, it's over in our like town square area, so over by the airport, kind of by like the north end of the strip. Uh, south end of the strip? South end of the strip. Uh, it's our mall. Okay, it's our mall. And awesome, awesome pot pies. Sell pizza as well. <laughs> um, delicious dessert pie as well, which I just experienced for the first time. And I've gone there a couple times and I walked in tonight after picking up my suit for the wedding I have in a couple weeks here and um, completely empty. And I was like, it is literally more affordable for me to stop here get a personalized pot pie than it is for me to go to McDonald's. It's about the same price. $13.50 at McDonald's, $14 for a very homemade, you know, restaurant style pie. Um, and I was like, damn, like where did we go wrong as a society that the drive-through at McDonald's is completely packed and yet there's not a single person sitting in this restaurant. And my heart broke a little bit. And then I came home and ate my pot pie and uh, did a little fantasy baseball recording today. So, hey. um, you know, that was cool, but uh, still recovering from your trip out here. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, I'll be back to normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's why you need to move to a hippie city like I live in in California, where the city I live in bans any drive throughs whatsoever. I love there's that. Not there's not a drive-through in the city that I live in. So, um, yes, if you want to go to McDonald's, you have to be that asshole who's going to mm-hmm. decide to get out of their car and go to McDonald's and not to the mom pa right next door or somewhere else. So, subsequently, I haven't had fast food in forever, to be honest with you. Uh, okay, maybe not forever. I got Chick-fil-A on the way to driving to Orange County to go see you when we went out to Vegas. But other than that, like don't really go get fast food too often. So that's the solution, but that's not the American way. That is the, uh, we have bike lanes on every street. We live in a hippie town out here in Cali. So, um, it is, well, it's a, it's an interesting point. Like when you bring that up, because I will justify if I have to get on my car that I'm making a healthier decision. And again, I live in Las Vegas, right? Like, um, I've taken you to cafe Rio a few times, awful, awful customer service foods, it's eh, it's borderline it's fine. fast food. It's borderline yeah. fast food, right? Like it's better, but it's still like they're probably sourcing in mass quantity from GMO consumers, like whatever. Um, but I'll justify like, hey, I went to Cafe Rio today. Like I didn't I didn't go to McDonald's or I didn't go to Jack in the Box. Not that I eat at Jack in the Box because I have standards, but um, jokes, of course. <laughs> we used to all the time. <laughs> we used to all the time. Um, but it's interesting because like there's a lot of truth to the statement here in Vegas and like by you, that's not a, that's not a thing, right? There are no drive throughs So you're automatically getting out of the car. And I think that's kind of what ties into this like running joke that I was just talking about with Crescent Row, which is like, you might have to drive five more minutes out of the way. You might have to park and get out of your car, but it's the exact same cost. And I'll tell you, it was fantastic. Like that was great. <laughs> I would be okay with in and out or McDonald's, but I'm not going to be like, oh, that was really good. Like I can't wait for my next one. And it's it's just disappointing because from like an accessibility perspective, Vegas is just so com- uh, commercialized and it's just a large city. You know, I'm not not on the coast like you are, as you said, in a hippie town. And I think there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's why I like living here. You know, um, we both lived in Costa Mesa and yeah. we went to a 24 seven subway. We went to Jack in the Box down the street. We went to McDonald's every night. And I think we went and had, oh shit! I cannot remember that Mongolian grill that I took you guys to. A few oh times. yeah, the name of that one. Mm-hmm. I know um, where it is. I could drive yeah, there right now. Yeah, yeah, I forget the name off the top of my head. I I wish I give him a shout out, but it's like we should have been going there more than we did. <laughs> but it is what it is. Well, and that just ties. I think I think what that ties into though is just like when you live in a neighborhood, it's like really getting out and venturing out, like. You know, when the first I think the first time I went to Wild Goose Tavern in Costa Mesa on like 16th or 17th Street was the first time me and Brooke like hung out. Yeah. And we went there, me and you and Aaron went there. And like that was one of the coolest bars I think I experienced in Orange County. And I went there maybe three times. Yeah. And that just is something that I've experienced throughout my life with moving around as much as I have, where it's like you don't necessarily even know your own neighborhood at times because life is so busy and it is so easy to just roll up to 24 hour subway. 
as opposed to like, hey, let's try something new today. We were also yeah. broke poor, so super broke know. poor. And let's let's be honest, there there was something special about the six dollar mm. pictures of Rolling Rock at the Goat Hill Tavern. <laughs> like there there is there's a there's a special place in my heart for those pictures of Rolling Rock. I actually went down a nostalgia lane with a coworker who lives in Costa Mesa now, which was super funny. But uh, that's besides the point. We we we've done long enough on the intro today. We can. This is our long. Can, this might be our longest intro in a long time. It's it's been it's for sure. Um, let's get to baseball first, though, dude. So we are going to talk a lot of football here on the episode, but Matt definitely wanted to dive a little bit into our potential World Series matchups that we have here. Uh, the Phillies have taken a 2-0 lead over the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Texas Rangers have taken a 2-0 lead over the Houston Astros as we record this podcast late Tuesday night on October 17th. So, Matt, I'll let you take it away before I give my thoughts more or less just on Major League Baseball and not the series, but go ahead, kick us off with a little baseball talk before we talk about week six that was in the NFL. Yeah, hell yeah. I think we've had a great four games so far in the Championship League series, Um, and I think we're really starting to see the appending matchup, which will be Philly versus the Rangers. Um, I, I think Philly is a foregone conclusion. They are far and away a better team than Arizona. And it is absolutely no disrespect to Arizona, whether it was Arizona or it was Milwaukee. Um, unless this was the Dodgers, I did not think this was going to be a matchup for the Phillies. They were going to be the better team against you know these undermined teams that are kind of on the come up, which Arizona absolutely is. And Arizona's pitching staff just doesn't have the weight to be able to stop this very powerful Phillies offense. And we've seen that throughout the first two games. I mean, Schwarber, two home runs tonight. You've had Harper and Castellanos this postseason playing at an absolute epic level. And then Trey Turner, a home run tonight. Like You just have the firepower and you have the money spent in this Phillies lineup. Then you have Wheeler kind of like anchoring the staff, who I would take right now as a number one without doubt. He's played very well. And then Nola also coming out and performing an absolute great performance with his contract expiring at the end of this year. Philadelphia just seems poised to to make that push towards the World Series. And then what I've seen from the Rangers so far, it's more or less what I haven't seen from the Astros. The Astros bats just haven't been able to come to life outside of Jordan Alvarez. And it's a problem that I was really concerned about when they started to lose their big names, the Springers, the Correas, that yes, will not have have great seasons over the last couple of years with their respective teams, the Blue Jays and the Twins, were really big parts of this playoff team. And then you look at last year where you had timely hits and key hits on top of the Jordan Alvarez home runs, where they also weren't running into a juggernaut like the Rangers. The Rangers are, in my opinion, one of the best teams they've played over this six, seven year stretch where they have been in the championship league series. And that's because almost every position on the Rangers is almost an all-star um, outside of their pitching staff, which I do have a little bit of concern with, but for the most part, they've gotten through the best pitchers in the Astros rotation already. Verlander lost and Valdez lost. At this point, in order for those two to pitch again, the Astros are going to really have to find a way to, to get those run those runners on first and foremost, and then to get them in without the home run, because right now Jordan is really just carrying this team with the power. Um, I, I do think the Rangers end up winning this series. I think by chance the Astros might be able to scratch out two games, but I just don't think they have the lineup to compete with the Rangers and for me, it lines up one of the, the most fun World Series I can remember. If it is going to be Phillies Rangers, this is going to be something I want to be sitting down and watching because players from both sides are electrifying. Both offenses are very, very high output um, teams. And you have two rotations with question marks. And you also have two rotations with some really fiery personalities like Max Scherzer and Wheeler. Um, not to mention all the names on offense from Seager, Semyon, Harper, Schwarber. Like this is what I have wanted from a World Series for a very long time. Yeah, I, absolutely. And right now the Phillies are just, I tweeted it out yeah, yesterday or today. Phillies are must-watch TV at this point, especially when they're playing at home with their home crowd. Um, all they're doing is hitting bombs, dude. All they are doing is hitting nuke shots. First inning, second inning, setting the tone. They're a really fun team to watch. As we've talked about on this podcast multiple times, we know how much Matt loves Bryce Harper and how much I've turned the corner on actually appreciating and enjoying the personality and player that Bryce has become at his older age here in the in major leagues. But I think it is, I think you make a really good point about the money well spent is it's funny. We kind of dumped all year on 
the Mets, right? And the Yankees. And now even in the playoffs when the Dodgers with their early exit getting swept by Arizona, we, I know we didn't talk about it much, but online you see, oh, you spent all this money and look what happens. It's like, well, the two teams that are going to end up probably in the World Series are right up there with the rest of them, okay? Like, obviously, sometimes money isn't well spent. <clears throat> Yankees, Mets. But at the end of the day, the way to get to the World Series to put yourself in the best position to win these games is still spending money. And there's no two better examples right now than the Texas Rangers and the Philadelphia Phillies. Right. So I agree with you. I think the, the I, that's the matchup I want. I think that's going to be the most electric matchup stars on both sides. I'm a big Corey Seager guy. Right. Uh, and don't forget Bruce Bochy out there in Texas bringing the troops together. I think I saw a stat yesterday during their game. He's 13 and 0 after winning game one in every series that he's gone up one Oh, um, honestly, one of the greatest coaches ever of all time. Let's, let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade here. Um, and then I just last thing for me personally, a little bit off the games here is this is just the most classic MLB stuff I'm ever seeing. I had, I'm going to steal this from a friend, but he had brought up to me that, when I am on my Instagram or Twitter, TikTok feed, whatever it is, how come when the tennis matchups are on for Wimbledon or the U.S. Open, I know everything that's going on, seeing all the highlights, seeing the drama, all this first time, blah, blah, blah. And I can't see a damn highlight ever on my feed about what's going on in the Major League Baseball playoffs, especially the CS series, right? We have a 2-0 upset going on in Houston right now, the team that's been there seven straight years. And then you have what's going on in Philadelphia, not even being documented, in my opinion, well enough by the PR team, by advertising, by Major League Baseball. Another opportunity whiffed by the Major League Baseball people. And all they want to do is change the rules, do the pitch clock, do the bases, do all the stuff, which like we like here. But it's like celebrate your players, promote your game, show what makes baseball fun. Stop just trying to change everything. It just bothers the shit out of me, dude. Well, I have a few things I'm going to toss in, but I'm going to address the marketing concept first because this has been a topic that we have covered since the beginning of our show three years ago. Um, and I and I think it is absolutely an institutional problem within Major League Baseball. I think Major League Baseball has the perception with their current governing body that it is the job of CBS, ESPN, Bleacher TBS. Report, TBS to be the marketing agent for them. And I say that because the tennis doesn't so much reflect with me. As I said to you before we were uh, jumping on that, like I don't actually have any tennis on my feed, which is because I probably don't watch tennis. So I, it doesn't have anything in the algorithm to spit out my way. But the point is, every once in a while, CBS will have a highlight of a, Homer, of a Harper Homer. Awesome. Fantastic. But it's CBS. I'm not seeing that blasted from ESPN, Bleacher Report, Barstool Sports, you name it, right? We, the list goes on. Well, it's not their job to have to promote Major League Baseball. It's their job to choose what they promote. And a lot of these other big institutions are making more money on promoting the NFL on a Tuesday night. So they don't care that Harper hit a home run because their post about how Jalen Hurts or Dak Prescott played poorly is going to perform better than the Harper home run highlight. So we also, as a consumer, do not blame them because it's a business. It is absolutely Major League Baseball's job to stack the deck and have as many uh, content creators out there and push those with their advertising dollar, push those on sponsored ads, push those onto other platforms so that you can see more of the highlights so that they are jammed down your throat. And I think the Major League Baseball made an okay push to the beginning of this year with their content creator um, draw where they were trying to pull people in to become baseball content creators. But they need to make this an absolute emphasis as the changes in the games, as the changes in the rules have been successful because it really has helped the popularity of baseball. But now is the second part of actually capitalizing on a good product, which is marketing it. It's crazy that I feel like I'm in business school sitting with my buddies when I'm not actually paying for the class and I'm just there like hanging out with them and they dragged me in there. Like this is almost like business 101 and they're just not doing it properly. And it's mind boggling, but this is something we we talked about for years. Last thing I want to mention, the Phillies are absolutely hitting home runs. They are also hitting them against bad pitchers. Um, yeah. I know Zach Gallon did pitch and there was a couple home runs off him. He's a great pitcher, left some balls on the plate. That's kind of a, a secondary piece. Um, but they have, for the most part, this postseason teed off on bad pitchers. Strider giving up a home run. I understand he's Spencer Strider, but he also gives up home runs. 
Um, I want to see what happens next round when they play presumably the Rangers because they haven't yet ran into that team that has really good pitching. And the Rangers, I feel like, have the best pitching so far that they're going to face. While it may not be elite level, it will be better. Um, and we saw that from Jordan Montgomery in his performance. We're going to see, I think, an absolute beast in Max Scherzer in the playoffs. As long as he stays health, healthy, he's a gamer. I think he shows up and finds a little bit extra. Um, but these home runs could become a problem for Philly once they start facing better pitchers. And then my question is, what happens? Can the offense find a way to win? Moving on to the NFL here. We just closed up week six, which we're uh, we're dubbing here as the, uh, the parody week. It was the first week we've seen some of our favorites, the Giants, the teams that have been doing extremely well and haven't lost, finally went down. And it's funny, and we call it the parody week because teams that the Niners and the Eagles lost to were not the teams that we expected them to lose to. Um, Self-admittedly, I had a money line parlay on the Niners and the Eagles just because I wanted a quick win for confidence. Um, And that just shows you, you know, just goes to show you what the NFL does to you. But I I think I will touch on both the teams, but I think this is what makes the NFL great, right? At the end of the day, this is why everyone tunes in every Sunday. That's big NFL fans and watches seven hours of red zone, plays fantasy football, does stupid money line parlays like me and you, you know, pays a lot of money to go to these games, yada, 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 right? This is why it's king is because the San Francisco 49ers can go into Cleveland. No Deshaun Watson, no Nick Chubb, no starting lineman, defense hurt and beat the best team in football, right? Now, we know Debo Samuel got hurt. We know Christian McCaffrey had to leave the game, but it's still the San Francisco 49ers, right? The most dominant team we've seen throughout this season. Um, And similarly, we had the Jets take down the Philadelphia Eagles after Jalen Hurts and the boys dominated the first half. He turns the ball over three times total in the game. Zach Wilson makes a nice play. Brees Hall scores a touchdown. Next thing you know, they lose. That's what makes the NFL great. Now, I'll start with the Niners, Matt. This is the first time we saw Purdy look like the last pick of the draft, right? I am not ready to bury him, put him in his grave like a lot of the other media folks that are saying that he's not a good quarterback and he's only carried by the system. I more or less took away from this game, Matt, is that the Browns might have the best defense in football. Miles Garrett might be the best pass rusher in football. And what they're they have been able to do to opposing quarterbacks, specifically in Cleveland, is just as impressive, if not the most impressive thing we've seen thus far throughout the season. And I want to see this weekend Brock Purdy play potentially without Debo, potentially without McCaffrey. And I'd prefer both of them to be out against a Minnesota team at home, because I think that'll really show his true colors and what he can actually do for this team. And I'll have a better judgment on who he truly is as a player without, you know, two of the best players in football. You know, I'd been waiting for this version of Brock Purdy for so long. <laughs> and I finally said, you know, it's it's just not going to come. He's a good quarterback in a great system with great pieces around him and it's time to accept that. I was wrong about Brock Purdy. And uh, of course, right as soon as I come to that realization and I accept that into my heart, I get it right in front of me. Yeah. And I am in the same boat you are. I'm not ready to to dump on him, um, which I for so long was. But what I will say is, and this is a drum I will bang until it comes to fruition. This team is an absolute money hell. They have money spread all over the field and their cap is in deep trouble over the next two, three years. And the question that I have is, what are they going to hold on to, to continue to make this a successful team, to continue to make this the best team in football? Because we now know Purdy needs help around him, which is fine. There, there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying that. We've we said that about Aaron Rodgers for years that Rodgers needs more weapons. As in, in the NFL, you need this is a team game. So for us, just a dump on Purdy now. It's it's unfair. Yes, he has the best running back in football. He has a very very versatile wide receiver in Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk is absolutely a great wide receiver waiting to kind of I think really come into his own. He does not necessarily play in the right system, I think, for his skill set, but also a top three tight end and the best left tackle of our generation. Like those are all big pieces. They have to get paid. You can't keep all of those players. So as an organization, this is also your time to start to understand what is the most valuable focal point for Brock Purdy to continue to lead this offense moving forward. 
And I think we're going to see that throughout the season because these injuries are not things that just like spiked up. All of these players have had injury concerns. All right. Trent Williams going down. That was the first time I've seen Trent Williams like hurt in a game, maybe since Washington. And that's four or five years ago now. And that was a big piece as well that the media is not talking about. I think if I remember correctly, watching that game, he did come back and play. He did. Yeah. Can't expect him to be fully healthy with the way he got. He left the game. So there were injuries all across the board. And I think throughout this season, yes, the 49ers are one of the best teams. I think we're the best team until this loss. I would still say they are. We need to see what is the most valuable piece for Purdy in this offense. That's the takeaway I have from this game. Yeah, and also something that was a little interesting as well is they need to make sure that they keep home field advantage, right? Because there was a little bit of inclement weather. You know, he didn't look that great throwing the ball in the rain. And, you know, it wasn't dumping rain or anything like that. But, you know, we get to an NFC championship game and they find themselves in Philadelphia. It's cold. It's wet. You know, like it's not NorCal, beautiful California. It, that that also could be a factor in something I think we'll monitor. But yeah, I honestly, Matt, like I would love to see them Monday night. No McCaffrey, um, no Debo against a terrible Minnesota terrible Vikings team. team. Yeah. And watch him dominate or struggle, right? And see how that goes. Now, moving to Philly, my guy Jalen Hurts had, had a tough day. <laughs> he had a tough day at the office. Um, similar tune that I had about the Browns, though, is that the Jets are a really, really good team at home. Right. And they have a really, really solid defense and they are well coached, even though Robert Saul is a little corny. But Jalen Hurts is what stirs the drink in Philadelphia. I still believe he's a top 10 quarterback, no doubt about it. I think he's proven and I think guys are allowed to have a bad game. And that is kind of foreshadowing what we're going to go to later in the episode. But Jalen Hurts had a bad game, Matt. He lost them the game. He threw an interception that ended up leading to the Jets touchdown that ended up beating them. And you know what? It happens. Now, what I'd be more concerned about if I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan is the fact that the running game isn't going the way that I thought it would. And their secondary has a ton of holes. Zach Wilson looked good against them and that that's you know an improvement for zach but if i'm philly they need to get that secondary dialed in especially with games against dallas coming up um games against uh some more of the afc east and you know they have a long tough schedule ahead of them in philadelphia and i think jalen hurts will be fine but i'm more concerned about that defense moving forward to be quite honest with you yeah, and I, I think that's a concern that they themselves have as well with the report coming out this week that they're scouring the league searching for secondary help. Um, first takeaway is that A.J. Brown is absolutely an elite-level wide receiver. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think I've probably slept on him a little bit long as well. He was always kind of teetering my top 15. Like I thought at times he disappeared, and what he has done over the last two, three weeks has just shown that he is he's the real deal, and that's yeah. going to really help Jalen. So kudos to that front office yet again. That kind of leads right into the running game situation that you talked about. And I had questions when reports were coming out that they were interested in acquiring Jonathan Taylor early in the season, why they would do that. From all intents and purposes, they traded for Swift. Swift had a couple really nice games, had really showcased himself as an elite level playmaker. Uh, you have Gainwell, a third, fourth round pick coming out of Memphis, who also has a lot of ability. And then they also brought in Penny, which I haven't even seen box scores. Yeah, into a what lot of Penny has healthy done. scratches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then third for me, this game actually meant more for the jets in regards to what I was able to take away than it did the Eagles. Cause I agree with you. Teams are allowed bad games, especially against great defenses, but the jets continue to find a way to not give up. And I think that is truly incredible. You are, you were in this game down 14, nine in the second quarter, going into the third quarter, you have a quarterback that you don't necessarily believe in, but is starting to showcase a little bit of ability and yet you don't give up. How many weeks in a row now are the Jets in games and winning football games because they choose not to give up? When in all intents and purposes, like you're playing the Eagles, you're down at half, you know, or they're probably going to come out hot. And yet this team continues to come and play. And, and you brought up a good point that I didn't even know without Sauce Gardner. Like this defense continued to play. And I think that is an absolute testament to Robert, Robert Sala as a head coach to continue to get his team to fight and fight and fight. If the Jets continue this, they're absolutely going to be in a position to win a wild card. 
Um, and, and then the door is completely open for the Aaron Rodgers, you know, circus that is already brewing. <laughs> yeah. And I just did not think that was possible. I did not think this team was going to be able to win enough close games. I did not think that they were going to be able to have the tenacity to stay fighting in winning games. And this is a huge showcase for me because what it means is they can be one of the best teams in the NFL. They might just be able to have a winning record this season when that should not have been the case when Aaron Rodgers went down. For sure. And it actually shows they might truly be a good quarterback away from yeah. being a title contender, which was the hype all offseason, right? Uh, I agree with you. I, I think the Eagles have a couple things to touch up. I also like for really, really good teams like the Eagles and the Niners, like not the worst thing to lose a game right now. You know, yeah. humble up a little bit, figure out where your weaknesses, figure out where your holes are, because you've got up and comers behind you like your Detroit Lions, bro that are playing out of their mind. Jared Goff, Matt, right now, I I know it's six games into the season. He's got to be in the MVP conversation. I've seen a lot of stuff about Tua. I'm seeing a lot of stuff about Tyreek Hill. Understandably, you know, not seeing as much Mahomes, but he's still on the list. A guy I'm not seeing is Jared Goff. He is playing unbelievable football right now. They lose David Montgomery in a game in South Florida, playing against the Buccaneers. He throws for 353, two touchdowns. He's not turning the ball over. He's getting the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown and facilitating to the rookie tight end, Laporta. Um, they're playing sound football. They're one of the best coach teams in the game. And the Lions are legitimate contenders now. They're tied for first place in the NFC. They're going to run away with the NFC North, that's for sure. And I think it's time to really, really start considering a Jared Goff in the MVP conversation, but the Lions as Matt, I can't believe I'm saying it, but legit title contenders and they have a real shot of coming out of the NFC. I still think they're a bit of a step below the Niners in Philly, but they're not there's not as big of a gap as I thought there was. Well, and to start off, the clip that has been circulating on that uh, Craig running back block, yeah, unbelievable football play. That is that's just their, that's their third string guy. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, it it makes me smile when you see that because that is a football play. Like those small things on a, I think it was like third and thirteen, where you go full sprint into a block and you clear a path to get your uh, your ball possession wide receiver. I think it was Amon Ra for the first down. That is what winning football is about. That is what the 49ers entire strategy is about, is about everyone being in the right place at the right time with the right mentality. You win football games and they've perfected it. But I, if the Lions can continue plays like that and continue to preach mentality like that, I think that's the next piece of this. We saw it last year. They were a very young and raw team. Second half, they really started to build momentum. Goff started to really develop into a player that didn't make as many mistakes, played okay on the road. We're seeing that development continue this year from Jared Goff, who all of you being reminded was a first overall pick for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yes, he absolutely needed to be in a good system with a good line, but he still was a first overall pick for a reason. He's good quarterback. Um, you know, and I, I will go back to our conversation a few years ago about him and Kirk Cousins. Like, I think we are now seeing why I wanted uh, Goff over Cousins because like yeah. in the right system, I just think he gives a little bit more and we're watching that. And then finally, the, the piece to tie it all together here is their youth. They have Gibbs, who hasn't had the opportunity to get as many reps this season as we have liked, but he will develop. You will get Montgomery back. You will continue the emergence of Amon Ross St. Brown. But more importantly, Jamison Williams, I think, will be a very big piece to this team in the second half and in the playoff push. As I've said before, taking this team to a third level. Once you have that third level, you really open things up for Gibbs and Montgomery. You open things up for this offensive line to dominate more, which in turn opens things up for Laporta and Amon Ra over the middle. This team could be incredibly dangerous if they develop the same way they did last year. This year, you could be talking about it, the favorites to win the Super Bowl in six, seven weeks here if these, if these players can really start to pull it together. But for me, the key is Jamison Williams. Yeah. And talking about home field now, they play in a dome, but Matt, like they, the NFC North schedule is soft. It's right? soft. Moving forward, the Eagles and um, the Niners 
they still have to play really, really good teams moving forward, right? Yep. So it's going to be interesting. The Lions didn't win the division last year, so they don't have a first-place schedule going into this year. I think everything is set up. I think you made such a good point about Jamison Williams. He's definitely – we'll pencil him in as the X factor to that offense, right? If they can really start winning on all three levels of that offense, um, it's really going to open it up. And, you know, I obviously, if you listen to this pod, I was, oh, I'll take Cousins over Goff. I think I might be changing my mind. You know, it was a different I'm, time when we had that it's, conversation. It's, it's it was a very time, different time. Cousins coming off of a bad game without Jefferson, right? Like, I, I don't know if I'm all in on it, but I think just at, at a blanket level, like I said, there's no way we can have this MVP conversation right now, in my opinion, without Jared Goff. Like, I, I just think he needs to be there. I think yeah. he needs to be up there with all these guys who are at the top right now, right? Throw I Josh mean, Allen in there, throw him, obviously, like I said throw golf in there to a Tyreek. I definitely think all that's warranted, um, but he, he's got to be in the conversation. I think the problem is Tyreek. It, it's it, like two is probably not in this do, conversation do without you, Tyreek. Do, do you, I, you, you genuinely believe that you, you think it's it right is... now he's my MVP um, yeah, it, like without that, a question. Huh? He, what he does as a position player, I don't think I've ever seen it, Matt. Um, and I watched El- We watched LaDainian Tomlinson. Like, awesome player like fantastic chris johnson for tennessee on a bad titans team you know a couple really incredible seasons there what i've watched from tyreek this season it's it's just ridiculous it's like playing a video game i mean you can't guard him you you just can't you you double him and he finds a way to be completely wide open i I don't understand it the only problem to this is like there's one thing with tyreek he's always going to miss a couple games yeah. No matter what, like it's going to be a hamstring. It's going to be a concussion. It's going to be something. So like, does he really follow through on the 2300 yards he's on pace for? Maybe, but probably not. But if he does, he's the MVP. I mean, he, he That's is true. That's true. Um, if, he, if he blows, if he blows Cooper cups, yeah. great season from a couple years ago, out of the water, they win the division. They let's say they lose three games total, right? Something like that. If they, if they win that division, if they if they can beat the Bills and Josh Allen and they remedy that bad game that they had a couple weeks ago, I feel you. Uh, it, it's tough for me to put the the wide receiver in there because the the game is the game it's is in, so much it's in more their than favor that. You know, too. Uh, like the rules are in their favor, and I, I also think the reason Cup didn't win MVP is because a large portion of that was because Matt Stafford was there. Like Matt Stafford was the second piece of that, and I'm not saying two is not the second piece of this, but I think it is way more Tyreek than it was Cooper. Um, a lot of it was target share with Cooper. A lot of it was Cooper being healthy, and a lot of it was Matt Stafford being Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford was there. Two is a good quarterback, but Tyreek is, in my opinion, a way better wide receiver. Yeah, I mean. You make a good point. I get what you're saying, and I, I think I do agree with you about the Cooper Cup, and it's no slight against him. Not I at think all. I think it's the catches, the moments, the touchdowns, the game-changing ability of Tyreek is what gives him a little bit more of that MVP edge than what Cup did. Because Cup is like a... <laughs> what's the best way to describe Cup? Cup's he's like, like a team most chosen. valuable player. You know, like he's he's the team's most valuable player, but he's not yeah. the league's most valuable yeah, player. Yeah, and, 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 and he's more like the guy who's coming to you with the fight with a nice little small knife who's going to cut you a hundred times yes. and kill you, where Tyreek Hill is showing up with a shotgun. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's <laughs> yeah. over. Like, oh, we've schemed, we've done this. Oh, they've picked us apart. Okay, let's go man one time. Let's just line them up one time. 55 yard touchdown yeah you know and i think that's the difference um well you said team game matt and you're not wrong because without um without hn and moster they're you're not going man just one time exactly but when miami's running the ball at 11.8 yards per carry right you don't have a choice so it's either these two guys beat you or we just hope to god what tyreek doesn't have a 20 yard uh open space and it's it's a lot of scheme, and that's what football is beautiful for. But with Tyreek, it also makes Raheem Moster, who we've laughed about for five years because he can't stay healthy, and HN, two of the best running backs in the NFL. Like he is making other players way better. Um, and and that's an MVP for me. Like that's to be able to change an offense is what Tyreek Hill does. And that same thing has been said about Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. I'm now saying that about a wide receiver, and that's surprising in itself. For sure. And I mean, look at not that Mahomes is playing bad, but look at 
the, the gaping difference. hole <laughs> on mm-hmm. that team without a... God, those two played together. That is just... Yeah. That's insane. That's well, insane. they won a Super Bowl together. Like, no, they for sure. They won that Super Bowl on Tyree Kill being Tyree Kill. Yeah. On that play. Um, you, That's a pretty good... That's a good transition into the, like the one of the last things I wanted to touch on for the episode today, which was... Um, when you had mentioned it's a team game and scheme is scheme and all this, what makes it beautiful. Like I think I'm really starting to realize that more after going to that game the other night in Vegas uh, with you and that Packer game, seeing the game in person and just the amount of football that I watch, to be quite honest with you (laughs) is that the game, the scheme, the moment, the timing, everything that has to come together for one simple completion. Cause we're going to talk about quarterbacks here is so much deeper than the QBRs, the passer ratings, the stats, the interceptions, all this shit, right? And it, I, th- I thought it was super interesting last night watching the Chargers game and then waking up today to hear the narrative about how the Chargers aren't setting Justin Herbert up for success. Now, I want to preface with a, what I'm going to say is that I do like Justin Herbert. I think he's still a really, really good quarterback. I don't. I mean, he's top 10, no doubt about it, right? Like, he's he's fantastic. He's really good. But at what point in time are we going to start actually watching the games, right? And not look at the QBRs, the EPAs, and all this fucking wild stuff and point out the obvious that he's missing, Justin Herbert's missing throws out there, man. Missing throws that he cannot miss to win games, not only last night against Dallas, but last year in the game that they lost to Jacksonville. And then Monday morning, it's, oh, well, it's Brandon Staley's fault, which you and I don't like Staley. Mm-hmm. We are then on the record about that. I'm not sitting here defending Staley, but it's like Herbert's missing throws that you got to have to win games somewhat consistently on big game, big time basis. And it's something that needs to be acknowledged because if he's getting paid big boy bucks, which he is, and he's being called elite and the next best this and the next best that, we need to treat him the way we treat Josh Allen. We need to treat him the way we treat Jared Goff, right? Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. These guys get dumped on and they don't get the backing of, well, they don't have a good coach. And Justin Herbert does every time. And I think this is something we need to start monitoring. Pull up the tape, pull up that second half against Jacksonville. Missed a couple open touchdowns to close out the game in the second half. We all saw the clip of when he missed Keenan Allen on the left-hand side of the screen last night, but he missed him multiple times, Palmer a bunch, and it's costing them games. We don't like Staley on this podcast, but I think it's time to start actually looking, and we're going to go into a couple other quarterbacks, but like Herbert specifically, if we're going to be looking at him this way, we need to start judging him, in my opinion, a little more harshly. I'm scrolling here, looking at some of the scores from the past week, and I was kind of just going through quarterbacks I would rather have. Um, it's also it's, hard. The list isn't some, the list ain't that long. It's the not list, Matt. The, the list but, is not that long. But the name that it's like the name where I finally had to be like, mm, I don't know, I don't know, was Deshaun Watson. And uh, I mean, listen though, it, listen, Jared Goff, no question about it, and I mean that equivocally. You give me an option between Herbert and Goff for on a game where I have to, it saves my life, and they both are on the Chargers offense. I'm taking Jared Goff 10 out of 10 times, and I'm not even thinking about it. That's my opinion. As I ran through some of these teams, it was like maybe seven quarterbacks just within this past week that I've taken over him. It was Deshaun Watson was the first one where I was like, okay. Deshaun's flashing some ability. He's not back. Old Deshaun, it's not even a question. I'm taking old Deshaun with Houston unequivocally as well. This new version of Deshaun, we don't know because now there's the injury, right? Like it's stalled out. But the fact that I'm even considering Deshaun Watson over Herbert is, is what's interesting because I agree. I still think he's a very good quarterback. I think he's a very bright future. And this kind of goes into what you and I talked about before we pressed record today, which is, for me, the real question is how far is he falling now? Because I'll take Tua over him. I'll take Goff over him. If you said this to me two years ago, I would have laughed. I would have laughed. Sure. And I was a supporter of Tua um, and Goff. But the fact that this conversation is continuing, it, it's unfortunate. And I did, up until that playoff game against Jacksonville, think he just wasn't being put in a position to win. That was the first game where I really said, hmm, didn't really like the play. I didn't like the decision making. Just didn't like the the overall effort I was seeing at times in this game against Dallas, 
Same question marks I had. Now, Dallas is a very good team with a good sure. defense, right? Very good defense, yes. But the question for me is, where does Justin Herbert fall following the 2023 season? Are they able to scrap it together and get a wild card and get to the postseason? Are some of these questions going to be answered where Herbert can finally push some of these demons away and win a playoff game? Or do we finally get a coaching regime change and we see a new version of Herbert in 2024? I am truly starting to think this is what Justin Herbert is, and he's going to need a good defense if he ever wants to win a Super Bowl. I agree. Um, I, I, For the record, it's not even a consideration for me with Deshaun Watson, but uh, I, I think more or less my, my How point about Goff? Is, How about Goff? I, it's, I'd still take Herbert over Goff okay. for sure. Um, it, I'd, I'd think about it more than I would in the past i'd agree with you there but i i I just think like we're putting him on the level of of josh allen joe burrow patrick mahomes right like that that's where the 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 media narrative is so when i watch a game like this i'm going to judge him the way everyone's been burying those guys for the for the start of this year and when josh allen threw three picks and had a fumble monday night right like yeah just because justin herbert didn't have the pick till the end of the game doesn't mean he wasn't missing balls that he shouldn't have missed throughout the game. That is where I am at on the situation. Now, to summarize all that and to move into maybe a couple other guys here is that Herbert can make all the impossible throws, right? He can make all the ones that go on the highlight and they're cool LA Chargers social media teams, but he cannot consistently have the must-have throws every time. And that's what separates the great ones from the very, very good ones, right? Like, and I think that's something that's going kind of unnoticed, Matt, to be honest with you about Josh Allen this year. He's still, he's still Brett Favre in it out there every once in a while, right? But I think he's gotten a lot more consistent, especially working with Diggs on being more <laughs> controlled, opportunistic, hitting first downs, doing what he needs to do to keep possession and not being an absolute loose cannon like he was for the first three years of his career, right? Like I said with Jalen Hurts earlier, I think that's something that Jalen Hurts is really, really good at, taking control of the ball, control of the ball controlling time of possession, dominating, right? And it's just, it's just not something I'm seeing from Herbert. Well, and I, I agree with everything you said, and I, I just want to add a little bit of context here. Um, you know, I was very patient for years with Tua and there were reasons for that. I think we're seeing that now. And Justin Herbert is 25 years old. Jared Goff is 29. Jared Goff, when he was traded to Detroit, it was basically like, have fun with that salary. He's going to suck. He's going to be a backup. Career's over. Career's done. And you're going to end up drafting a starting quarterback. That was, I think, all tense and purposes, what everyone thought. I thought there was a slight chance that Jared Goff might be able to resurrect his career. And we have seen that. But he is 29 years old. He is four more years on Justin Herbert. And that is, I mean, presumably at least three more years of NFL experience. I don't know if it equates to four more years of, of pro experience. It's probably in that ballpark. It's a lot of time in the NFL with a lot of different systems, learning the game, understanding the game, developing yourself, as you talked about with Brett Favre. Goff used to make some really bad decisions in LA, and it cost the Rams at times. That's why he was gone. Now, finally, coming into just the end of last year and this year, has he started to really understand to protect the ball? Took him a while. Talked about Allen. Allen's 27 years old. He's had at least an extra year on Herbert, if I remember correctly, maybe two after his draft. And he was awful to start his career. We've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Finally emerged and has showcased a, a, a kind of a, a grown-up perspective of being a professional quarterback. So I'm going to give Herbert time because I do think the real narrative, and you hit it on the head, is the fact that we have just misclassified Justin Herbert. We have classified him with the elite-level players in the NFL, the Patrick Mahomes, the Joe Burrows, and that's just not where he is. He is more or less in the pocket of Tua and Goff. Yes, more upside than Goff, for sure. I get that, but... He's not necessarily in that elite class, and we need to stop holding him there until he actually puts himself in that elite class, which I think at 25, he has more than enough time to eventually push himself up there. Totally. And and like when I mean, for me, I I don't want to speak for you, but for the elite class, like it's a small group like this is like this elite class here we're putting here. Like, I don't think we toss that around lightly on our show here where it's like, oh, this guy's elite, right? Like he's elite class is literally... Burrow, 
Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, right? Yep. Like, I, I don't know who, who in Aaron Rodgers is loosely, but it's fucking Aaron Rodgers. So we're going to throw him in there, right? Yep. Um, you know, we've got all these guys in limbo, like Allen. I'll toss Allen elite, like, but he's fringe elite. I me, I still right? think I he's just, limbo, he's, though. I, I, he's, he's like a tier of his own. He, he's a tier of his own because we've yeah. seen the flashes in the playoffs and he's done a lot for that team, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, we've got the limbo guys here, right? First one, my guy, Lamar Jackson, right? Like, yeah. he, this is it. And he's playing fantastic. Like, he's also he an MVP. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's also an, yeah, for real. Yeah. But, like, we, we still wouldn't put him there yet because he hasn't done anything to be like, he's elite right like in the sense of the word jalen hurts jalen mvp mvp played the super bowl it was better than mahomes in the super bowl last year he's him and allen him allen lamar all like right there looking to take that next step to be like yes no hesitation they're an elite quarterback you can't say anything else about them um you know the list is small man and the fact that you know coming full circle here We've already just self-appointed Herbert because of his. Uh, he he probably has the best arm in the league. Him and Josh Allen are right there, one two, with the arm talent ability. Um, I, I'm not I'm not ready to put him there. I'm not, and I'm not. I'm also not ready to say Deshaun Watson's better than him. I promise you that. But um, I I just I just really don't think he's he's quite there yet. And he does have fucking Keenan Allen did have Mike Williams and has Austin Eckler. Austin so Eckler. Like, let's, let's not act like he didn't come into a good situation. Okay. Keenan Allen's a baller. I want to bring this up and this is not on our rundown. Um, <laughs> did you see the uh, little snippets from CJ Stroud this week about his teammate concept? Uh, yeah. I think this is hilarious that you brought this up because uh saw it and i didn't write it down yes continue yes and, okay so for the listener um and i don't know the validity of this whatever instagram pages i i saw it on multiple pieces of it's they're pretty it legitimate ESPN today too okay, okay so the report was that cj shroud um has been very active with team bonding team building relationship building within the organization i mean on a nightly if not weekly basis um i think i should flip those two but you get the point um, and the post that I saw was, it was because of Tom Brady. And he said that throughout Brady's comments throughout his career, what he really identified as a key distinctive tra- uh, trait from Brady was not necessarily his in-game management, but his leadership ability to pull his team together. And when he was out there, he wanted to win for his guys and how that's like seeped into the entire team where everyone wanted to win for their teammates. And so Shroud's mentality is I want to be like Brady what do I need to do that Brady did that other guys are not doing? And that is building those relationships within your team. And I was absolutely blown away that this A came out, that he outright said this, and that B, he's following through on it. Because as a quarterback, as a football fan, this is what I expect from my quarterback. My life is to be the best I can be. And that starts with being a great teammate. And we've seen that transition from how many names in the NFL. I think the most highlighted one recently is Zach Wilson with the the changes that he has made since Aaron has come there just from a personal perspective and how he articulates things, how he understands responsibility, how he's starting to become actually a, a man because he has an actual example of a man. And CJ out here is openly saying, I'm trying to learn from the greatest of all time. And I think it's absolutely beautiful. Um and it's it was something that I just had to bring up because I, I was blown back by it. Yeah, I mean, it's it was really cool to see. Um, he's been he's been a top three to five story in the NFL for me this year. I know we haven't talked a whole lot. I know we did it an episode or two ago. I can't quite remember um, just talking about the Texans. But he, he's been he's been one of the best stories of, of the league this year. And I think they have a legitimate shot at winning that division the Houston Texans, which is just insane to think about, especially considering how all in they went on the draft this year. Um, but also you just come full circle and think about the list of quarterbacks we just talked about, right? Yep. And which ones do you see that respect and that leadership from their teammates and basically that love in the locker room, right? You see it with Goff in Detroit, right? You definitely see it with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. You see it with Lamar Jackson. You see it with a lot of these guys we're sitting here thinking about elite to limbo to fringe. And then you come down a level, right? And you look at a guy like Jordan Love, it looks like he's got the guys in the locker room. Well, now we're facing a little adversity, right? Like this is 
this is when you see what type of relationships have been cultivated inside of those locker rooms. You look at a team like the Raiders, man, they're a mess, right? They're winning some ball games, but every single week you hear something coming out of that locker room and you just go down the list, man. And it's super interesting to see which young guys specifically really dive in and try and be the best version of themselves and the best leaders at what's he, Matt, 22 years old, right? Yeah. Stroud, it's got to be 22, 23 around there. Uh, I thought I saw that from Anthony Richardson. Haven't seen a ton out of Bryce Young, but I don't think that's necessarily a knock on him because you also haven't heard anything negative. Um, but it, it, that's it's a really cool article and something I think to monitor as we look at a lot of these young guys, specifically quarterbacks that are coming out. Well, and two takeaways, you know, one, the polarization of Johnny Manziel. I don't know if you saw it this week, but the McDaniels interview when he was with the organization. I did see that, yeah. And again, from the listener perspective, if you haven't, McDaniels worked for the Browns when Manziel was drafted. Go out, find the clip. It's it's fantastic because it's McDaniels talking in general. Um, <laughs> but it was highlighting Manziel not watching film. And you have Kyler Murray in Arizona where there were concerns about the effort and the level that he was putting in the film room. It's just the polar opposite of what you're seeing from like the CJ Shroud story here where I'm all in. This is this is my career. This is my life. These are my brothers. My job is to make this a team game and all of us to bleed for one another. And it, it goes back to um, some of the Hard Knocks episodes through. And I don't know what season I'm referencing, but it was the simple concept of a position coach telling the guys to do their job. It is your job. You do your job so the guy next to you doesn't have to do the job. And if you get everybody to do their job, you you win football games, but to do your job, you need motivation, right? To have your brother next to you and to not allow your brother down is a totally different motivating factor than, damn, I'm tired. You know, I I just don't have this in me. Um, damn, they're not paying me enough. Like there are so many variables that go into building that family foundation. And I do think it's why the Patriots were so successful because Brady had people play for him. And then the last thing I want to just say to this, it's a comment about Zach Wilson. With Aaron Rodgers being actively with this team, I first and foremost respect that. He could have easily gone home and rehabbed and come back to the organization week 15, week 16, week 17, and watch from the sidelines as he finishes the season. What they finish the season, he's chosen to be actively with this team. And I think that speaks volumes for him as a leader because I do not think he would have done so with Green Bay. I think it shows his level of commitment to the game this season and possibly next season, but what it also means for that Jets team, like three and three. Maybe they are fighting a little bit more in the third and fourth quarter because Aaron's with them, because their guy is with them. You do not see that in Las Vegas. There is no guy. Jimmy Garoppolo is not the guy, and everyone knows yeah. it. it. He was never yeah. supposed to be the guy. He was not signed to be the guy, but there's no guy. Devontae Adams is the guy. Well, Devontae doesn't even necessarily want to be here. That's the first five, six weeks of narrative that the media has painted. And so having a face of an organization that wants to be there, the Shrouds, the Bradys, the Rogers, I think that means all the difference for the foundational drop that you then see throughout every other player and position throughout your organization. Well, everyone, have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next week on the pod. Find us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at PitcherBetPod. Later, y'all.